What is up? Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Life Podcast. I am Marcus Grant, joined as always by Dwayne McFarland. And Dwayne, after after this week, I mean, we're into week nine. So after this week, we will be officially halfway done with the 2022 NFL season. And I know they're all sort of unique. Every season is is wild in its own special way. This one definitely feels like it has been its own certain thing with a lot of stuff we've never seen before. I don't, at least that's how I feel about it. I don't know if that's how you feel. Yeah, I think every, I mean, I think I find myself feeling this way every season. I, I should like journal this stuff more, you know, <laughs> so that I can actually look back and be like, did I feel this way last season or did I not? I, I feel like I did. Um, but there are definitely some things that are going on that I think we've never or they're they're definitely like at an extreme that we haven't seen, you know, in the past. Um, injuries are a thing that I think happen every year, and we always think it's the worst year. Um, but I think like the stuff that's going on with the quarterbacks this year is pretty insane, you know, with how different it is by having one of the top quarterbacks versus having a mid tier versus a low tier quarterback. So I think that is definitely a huge thing um, that will probably impact the way we think about fantasy football moving forward. Like, who knows? Will it be an overreaction? You know, next year probably. <laughs> Like we're typically like we we overreact to everything and then like the truth will fall somewhere in the middle. We'll figure it out in like two and a half years from now. Right, exactly. That's I, we've talked about this before, too, because those quarterbacks, the, the elite quarterbacks are so far ahead of everybody else. How much does that change how we draft? But it's also important to note, is this is this the way of things now or is this year kind of an outlier? And as you said, we're, we're probably not going to know that for a couple of years. So what happens next year? Uh, you know, maybe completely wrong. Who knows? Because regression may happen, which is sort of something we're going to talk about a lot on today's show. We're going to go through the rankings as we always do. They are up and live at fantasylife.com. So you can see how Dwayne has everybody ranked, how Waz has people ranked. You can see what the consensus is and uh, kind of figure out how to make your own decisions based on that. So let's start, though. Because every day, or most days, in the newsletter that you can sign up for for free at FantasyLife.com, there is a little section called Regression Session, where you know it's talking about players who are in line potentially for positive regression or negative regression. And that's going to be a theme on the show today. So my question for you, especially as somebody who looks at a lot of data, how do you spot somebody who's a potential regression candidate? Yeah, and there's there's a couple, you mentioned it, there's two kinds. We could have positive or we could have negative regression. Um, the first thing in season that we're looking for, because you can do this season to season as well, right? I mean, so there's a, there's a lot of ways we can slice and dice, you know, regression. And it's a lot of the same data points, but like in season, the most powerful thing is really looking at the way that the players are being used and then looking at that versus like their fantasy points. So a lot of times you'll hear people really encapsulate this by talking about expected fantasy points versus actual. So if a running back is getting a lot of carries inside the five yard line, said team is also getting inside the five yard line, you know, a lot of times, but maybe they're kicking a lot of field goals. And let's say they've also got the passing down work, <clears throat> but they just have two duds. You know, they have two games where like they come up with 10 fantasy points. Like that's going to be an immediate positive regression candidate because the, the best way to score points in a PPR format is, are you on the field to catch passes and are you on the field to score touchdowns? And if you're in a good offense, right, that just makes all of that stuff that much better. The opposite of that would be um, someone like we talked about earlier in the season, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So Clyde Edwards-Alaire was a great example of someone that was really out kicking his coverage. He was not even playing 50% of the snaps, wasn't even getting 50% of the rushing attempts, was not getting all the carries inside the five. It was random which carries he was getting. He was getting playing time inside the five, but because every time he was inside the five, he scored, 
people just made the the automatic assumption like you would notice like oh but he's on the field every time they're inside the five and you're like well actually he's not he's only on the field like 35 percent of the time they're inside the five it just so happens that he scored when he was inside the five so um, I'm going to see how many times I can say inside the five in this one podcast. <laughs> it's going to be really great. Um, but it was just, it was a clear one to us, but it was hard because people, all they could see was, look, it keeps happening. It just, it's going to keep happening. And so I think that's the, that's, that's where it gets really tricky is because, you know, you will have some players that will go on a run like this either way, negative or positive. And, you know, it becomes hard because then people just want to start hearkening to the fantasy points, you know, and it's just like, well, sorry, I don't care. He's just scoring fantasy points. But most likely with a case like Edwards or it will come back to earth. And then that's what we saw. So when you talk about that and we, we talk about regression a lot, I feel like it's a word that gets thrown around a ton. Yeah. And I think for the most part, people have a good handle on it. Maybe not always. But you know, when you when you see something like that, right, in the case of a Clyde Edwards or you've drafted him, you've been playing him. And, you know, even if you know that this this negative regression is coming, how do you get out in front of that? Is it just something I mean, do you try to trade the guy? Do you yeah. just sort of try to pick your spots? I mean, that CEH's usage was so scattershot that it just felt like you were you were down to get one of those weeks. And, and I don't know <laughs> and this is sort of me asking for me, I guess. I don't know how you handle something like that when you know it's coming, but you just don't know when necessarily. Yeah, um, you just as long as it's still happening, right, and he's still scoring fantasy points every week, you want to keep trying to trade them. Now, I, I will say this. So there's another component to this. So I'm glad you asked, came back and circled back on the CEH thing. So the other thing with Clyde Edwards-Alaire that, like, really made it a situation where you wanted, you absolutely wanted to be selling is his underlying efficiency metrics were also really terrible. Like, if you looked at him and his yards expected, you know, versus the league average, you know, he was... I think fourth to last, like before his, you know, true, you know, fall off of a cliff. So he just wasn't generating many yards, you know, over expected versus his peers. Explosive rush rate was terrible. His missed tackles force were not good. Yards after contact was okay. But every everything that we look for in running backs historically that have equal outperforming, right? Low utilization. He didn't have any of those things either. And the other thing is if a player is really talented, so if, say Edwards Alaire had been scoring those points and we were looking at all that and we're like, well, man, like he's in the top five in this, he's in the top five in this, he's in the top five in this, as far as efficiency metrics go, well, then he has more outs because then it's like, well, he plays on Kansas City. He's already scoring this many points. He's playing really well. So there's a, he gives himself a chance, even if his role doesn't expand, and he's playing so well, he could force the coach's hands to, you know, the coach's hand to play him more. So none of those things were working in Edwards Alaire's favor, right? With Kenneth Walker, some of these other guys, it was like, well, man, he's buried. But when he gets on the field, wow, he looks really good. So those are kind of two opposite things. So you have to be careful because sometimes you will have a really talented player that will pop up and you'll be like, oh, wow, two touchdowns. You know, he only carried the ball 30 percent of the time, probably not happening again, happening again. But if you look back over a four or five game sample and you're like, but wow, they've played really well. That's not necessarily a player you want to be trying to get rid of. That's a player that you're hoping the coach comes to their senses or you're also just realizing the NFL season's chaotic, right? If Rashad Penny goes down, which he did in Rashad Penny's case, that was huge for him. So there's a, you know, it's a layered thing. Um, so the, the usage is number one, but then we also want to look at the efficiency because I, I have been guilty of this in the past. You know, I've had certain players that I've looked at. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and move them. And I did. And then their role expanded. And if you look back, it was like, typically they were showing all the signs of being someone that deserved more playing time, which in CH's cases, in CEH's case, he did not. 
Yeah. Uh, the other thing I would add to this, and this is just my own personal pet peeve, we need another term for positive regression. Like, I don't know if we call it progression <laughs> or what, but the regression on its own sort of sounds negative. So we need something. It does. We need another term for positive <laughs> regression. That's just, that's just me. I think uh, aggression to the mean is what there we, we go. Hear. I think I, that actually, maybe JJ coined that one. I can't remember, but I've heard somebody say aggression to the mean. I think it was JJ that said it. I first. like that. I like that. J, JJ's a smart guy. I, I, can, get, I can get down uh, with that as well. Um, so that's, that's a good way to kind of dive into the rankings. And all throughout the show, as I mentioned, we will talk about some guys who are examples of, uh, let's say, uh, negative regression and uh, aggression to the mean. So, uh, you know, so, so regression and aggression, I guess, is, is what we will talk about yeah, with some of these guys I like it. as we go through. Kyler Murray, I don't know if he's necessarily a candidate for either, but he's a guy who it's it's weird because I don't know that he's had a ton of great games, but he's still hanging around in the top 10 of fantasy quarterbacks. On paper, the matchup seems good because we've been picking on the Seahawks all season long. Uh, Dwayne, how are you feeling about him? And are you concerned at all because the Seahawks defense has actually been a little bit better in the last month? Yeah, the Seahawks defense have been it's been way better. Uh, like they started off the year just being, to your point, a team you could just, oh, they're playing the Seahawks. Great. Throw them in, throw them in the lineup. It's going to be it was like it wasn't quite Detroit level. I don't know if anything can be Detroit level, but it was close. <laughs> Um, but if you look at their PFF coverage grade over the last four games, it shot up to a 77.3, which is the fourth best over that period. So they, they are playing way better. Um, I actually think Kyler Murray, and we've talked about him in the past, he was a great candidate for regression, for, for sorry, aggression to the mean. <laughs> this is a guy that profiles really more like Josh Allen, more like Lamar Jackson, more like Jalen Hurts than unlike them. Um, you know, he's got the, uh, he's, he's someone that can run for a hundred yards in any game. He can throw for 300 yards in any game. And just the fact that he's still ranked where he is to your point, despite not really being able to do much. I mean, it speaks to two things. One, the quarterbacks are really bad this year with all the changes that are going on in the NFL and teams are trying to adapt, but it also just speaks to when you can run around for 40 to 50 yards per game, that five points goes a long way to boosting your floor as a fantasy player. And so while Murray had not really been clicking in the passing game, those were the yards that were saving him. But now with DeAndre Hopkins back in the mix, the last two games, Marcus, man, it's been really good. He's averaging 7.0 and 7.4 yards per passing attempt. He didn't eclipse 6.0 in any of the first six games without DeAndre Hopkins. So, and they just seem to stylistically fit well, right? I mean, Murray is just kind of, you know, he's doing his thing. There's some ad lib going on. Um, DeAndre Hopkins, it doesn't matter if he's playing zone or man coverage. He's really great historically. There's very few receivers that just are complete alphas against both, meaning they don't see a drop off. Most really good receivers will see a higher target rate versus man. But when you get against zone heavy teams, it will drop off. Hopkins has a very good understanding of how to play zone, and he absolutely has Murray's trust. So he's a guy that he can go to all the time. And I think that's been the difference. Whereas with Marquise Brown, like when he would get those man coverage looks, he knew what to do. But against zone, it just didn't, it wasn't quite working out. And when we get Marquise Brown back eventually, like that could be great as well. But I think you're just now seeing the Cardinals start to click. And I think there's, there's an opportunity, like you're going to look up and we could see Kyler Murray look like over the next four or five games, you know, be a top two, top three quarterback. So I do think there is an opportunity for aggression to the mean. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be interesting, too, because you mentioned what happens when with DeAndre Hopkins back. And, you know, Nuke had that one-handed touchdown catch this past week. And 
uh, I don't know, I can't remember who was announcing the game, but made made the point that you know he's he's open when even when he's covered, and I think Kyler has that trust with him. Then you throw uh, Marquise Brown back into the mix, and suddenly I think this offense has the potential to kind of go next level. So I think we've been waiting for Kyler to take off. So now I'm curious to see uh, if it actually happens, and I'm curious to see if it happens this week against a defense as you mentioned that that really has turned a corner in the last month. Um, Justin Herbert is a guy that that we drafted very highly who so far has sort of underwhelmed uh i feel like some of it is the play calling some of it is just the fact that he doesn't feel like he has weapons that can can get downfield he might not have any of those weapons this week uh, mike williams is out we know that for sure keenan allen is sort of heading in the wrong direction it seems like a good matchup on paper against atlanta but i feel like there's a lot of reasons to be concerned with justin herbert in week nine yeah, I mean, the bye weeks are, there's so many bye weeks, it's hard to move him down very far. You know, I mean, he's moving down, but there aren't, there's no one to really replace him. <laughs> so like in a typical week, like he would be further down, but he's still QB8 on a on a week where we've got six teams on bye. So that's pretty low. He does have a great matchup to your point. Like if you look at Atlanta, um, they give up 22.1 points just through the air. This excludes anything rushing and, and that's non-overtime play. Um, that is actually the second most in the NFL this season. But the question is like, can Herbert, can he really access the upside that should provide? And it's for the reasons you mentioned, like you're not going to have Mike Williams. Um, Keenan Allen really, it seems like he's trending towards not playing yesterday. There was, you know, they asked him about it and he had a quote about, well, just waiting on this scar tissue to break off. I'm like, that doesn't sound good. Right. <laughs> no, that doesn't sound good. Um, so my guess is Keenan Allen's not going to be playing this week. He didn't practice yesterday. Uh, the coaching staff also did not sound optimistic. We did have Josh Palmer clear concussion protocol. You know, he's got Gerald Everett's got Austin Eckler, but what are we doing? Like who's going to, I mean, that's that those are okay weapons, right? Those are not good weapons. Like, so you really don't have any kind of alpha. Um, I mean, Eckler obviously is really good at what he does, but he's not attacking defenses, you know, downfield to your point. So yeah, I think Herbert is a downgrade. Like I would play Burrow over him, even though he doesn't have uh, Jamar chase because it's still, at least he has T Higgins. I know it didn't look good this last weekend, but Burrow, you know, before that was absolutely playing nuts. Um, Bengals like to throw the ball first. I would play Tua over Justin Herbert this weekend. You know, it's, it's pretty easy. You have Tyreek Hill and you have Jalen Waddle, or you don't. And so I would rather play with the quarterback that has the weapon. So I've got Justin Herbert two spots below um, expert consensus if you look over at Fantasy Pros. Yeah, it just, you know, it, at some point, I don't care how good he is, um, if, you're not, if you don't have the guys to get the football to, um, it's just going to be hard to be productive at all. Of course, I, I didn't mention it, but you sort of hinted at it. Six teams on a bye this week, and so you're going to be missing a whole lot of players, which means streaming options are going to be important. Uh, I, you got a couple guys on your list. Who who do you like as streamers this week? <laughs> well, it's kind of like who's available. <laughs> pretty much. That's it's probably fair, yes. So many. Uh, but Mariota is – so these are the guys that are available at, you know, at least 50% of the time. So Mariota, 69% available on Yahoo, playing against said Chargers. Um, so there is a, you know, there's an opportunity that we get some points in the game. You know, it's got a 49 point game total, which is one of the higher totals on the weekend. Like, I, I don't know that that hits, um, but we have a, we have an opportunity, let's say. And with Mariota, I mean, the, the thing is, you know, he's involved in the ground game. So anytime you have a player, just like what we've talked about in the past with Justin Fields, we just talked about it with Kyler Murray. I feel like we're always waiting on the other shoe to fall with Mariota because it's like, okay, like when are we going to move to the rookie? But like if we're just looking at it on a game by game basis, like Mariota still gives you that. You know, he he's going to give you that floor because he's got you know the ability to run, 
And, you know, he can have an occasional game where through efficiency, not through passing volume. We know Arthur Smith is just not, he's not, he's not going <laughs> to drop back and pass all the time, but he's got enough weapons. Like Kyle Pitts is a good player. We also know that Drake London is a good player. Um, you know, they've been finding ways to get explosive plays out of Demir Bird lately. So there's an opportunity for Mariota. I got, I have him as a high end QB two this week. Um, and like I said, he's typically available. So that would be my first pick. Um, and then Jared Goff would be the next one, you know, Goff, is available a little bit less. He's only there 49% of the time. Um, but with the Lions, anytime they're playing, we have a chance for a shootout because their defense is terrible, and then yeah. they can score points. So if the Packers on the other side could reciprocate, which we don't know. We really don't know if the Packers <laughs> could. But if the Packers were ever going to reciprocate, like this has got to be the week. So I would throw Jared Goff in the mix too. Just from a straight football standpoint, if the Packers, they've lost four in a row, if they lose their fifth straight and it's to the Lions, there will be borderline armageddon in the state of wisconsin i think that would happen this week you know i was also surprised i mean i felt like trevor lawrence i liked the matchup this week but i was surprised he is rostered in like 66 percent of yahoo leagues that that surprised me a little bit just because he's yeah. been so up and down but i do think this is a good week potentially to get trevor lawrence uh in a lineup if you're missing somebody at the quarterback spot so um over to running back, uh, Travis Etienne has fully taken hold of the backfield in Jacksonville now that James Robinson isn't there. And, and an interesting stat that uh, I saw courtesy of, of the NFL research team is that um, he's got six runs of 20 or more yards. Uh, he's averaging over six yards per carry. Both, I think, are second uh, in, in the NFL among running backs. But for whatever reason, he ranks 23rd in carries per game. Uh, Dwayne, I would assume that that number changes now that he is truly the only guy. I mean, I don't see Jermichael Hasty really stepping in. I don't see Snoop Connor stepping in to get a whole lot of opportunities. So now with no James Robinson, do we see a lot more heavy utilization for Travis Etienne going forward? Yeah, I absolutely think so. I mean, last weekend we saw 20 rushing attempts. So I think that corrects itself. Um, with Robinson gone and to your point, Hasty's just really more of a change of pace back. So, I mean, we have a true every down player here. And I, I know there's a lot of people that are skeptical about whether or not he can handle that workload, but until he doesn't like, there's really no one here to challenge him. Um, and maybe eventually Snoop Connor comes in to take a little bit of the early down work. And honestly, with a player like ETN, you don't mind that you don't mind him getting spelled a little bit because you don't want him to end up getting hurt. But yeah, I, I don't think there's any concerns about the usage. I think you're looking at a 20 to 25, you know, touch per game player going to have some weeks where he might push towards 30. Now, I think the thing that's most interesting to me with ETN, like all of his efficiency numbers are all great. The utilization is now trending in the right direction. So if you have ETN, you, you have a mid range RB one the rest of the way. But what's funny is, you know, you talked about all of those long runs. I don't believe any of those runs have made it to the end zone yet. Like for some reason, somehow as fast and explosive as he is, there's a DB that manages to still have the right angle at the very end to tackle him. Like, you know, just before he gets to the end zone. So there's a positive, there's an aggression to the mean thing. Like when you break <laughs> that many long runs, normally more of them are going to go for touchdowns. So that's a situation to monitor. If he continues to break those explosive plays, we're going to see more of those actually make it into the end zone. And man, that's, um, that could really send like his value to the moon. Right. And I mean, look, at this point, there's really no argument. If you've got Travis Etienne, you're starting him. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't <laughs> even matter. Just the, the extra carries, though, is sort of the, the cherry on top there. You talk about the Packers and our hope that maybe they can hold up their end of the bargain and turn this into a track meet against the Lions. If that happens, I suspect Aaron Jones is going to be heavily involved in this one. 
he has seen a, an upgrade in utilization over the last couple of weeks. I think mostly because, I don't know, some combination of Aaron Rodgers' frustration, some combination of just the coaching staff realizing that, hey, look, if we're going to be successful, Aaron Jones has to be a part of it. Do we see that really fully take hold this week against the Lions? I mean, I'm again, I think we're all sort of hoping for it. Do you expect that it's going to happen this week? Yeah, I think, you know, we've seen the shift over the last four games. So this is the kind of thing where, like, again, there's opportunity for aggression to the mean here, like with Aaron Jones. Um, and we've actually, we've kind of already seen it, but the writing was on the wall in week four and week five. In week four, you know, we saw his rushing attempts start to increase. Then week five, he got to 65%, which was a season high, and he only scored 10 fantasy points, right? So he kind of got unlucky. It was like, okay, you've got this expanded role. But again, 65% in a losing game script could just mean that, you know, 65% doesn't equal a lot of carries. And this, in a certain game, that could only be 10. In another game, that can be 20. And so that's why the utilization, I always use the percentages to share with everybody. And then I give the, key, the team context separately. Just because the ebbs and it allows you to think through the ebbs and flows of the week, right? Is this going to be a game where the Packers could run more? Is this going to be a game where we expect the Packers to trail more? And so with Aaron Jones, like everything has just been lining up. So listen, so over the first four games, he averaged 40% of the Packers rushing attempts. Over the last four games, that number is now 59%. So he went from really just being the passing down back and then the change of pace to A.J. Dillon in the run game, to now he is the lead in the run game, and he's still getting all of the passing down work. Like, long down and distance, you know, 70% uh, of the snaps still going to him over the course of the season. Two-minute offense, 84%. So those are really dominant. So his route participation is also pretty healthy. Um, we've seen it a couple of times, get up into the 60s, or a few times up into the 60s. It went down a little bit this last week, but still, he's on the field plenty. And again, we're we're back to, you know, all things come back to the Lions when you have a matchup against the Lions. So um, and that's what we have this weekend. But I mean, I do think to your point with Aaron Jones. So I went back and I sliced this data like every way I could. I looked at mm -hmm. it like in leading scripts over the last four games, trailing scripts. Was this was his increase just because of a certain kind of game script? And the answer is no. Whether they were in a close game, whether they were actually leading or whether they were trailing it was pretty much the same. These numbers that I just shared, like he was tip, he was actually, it just got better. Like if they were, if they were trailing, it actually did increase, but it didn't go down in, in close or leading game scripts. He continued to be the back that they leaned on more. So I don't think it's something where it's just like, Oh, well we had this certain little run of games and the, they just played out a certain way. And that meant that Aaron Jones got all the work. That wasn't the case. I think it's truly because he's outplaying AJ Dillon and if you look at like the PFF rushing grade, 90.9 for Aaron Jones, that is third out of 46 running backs with at least 50 attempts. It's 76.5 for A.J. Dillon. If you look at missed tackles force point per attempt, 0 0.40 for Aaron Jones. The NFL average, by the way, is 0 0.17. He's at 0 0.40. That's first in the NFL. A.J. Dillon, the exact opposite. He's 41st out of 46 backs in that category at 0 0.10. And then you look at yards after contact, something where you would think A.J. Dillon would, would lead Aaron Jones. He's not. Aaron Jones is 10th in the league, 3.78. A.J. Dillon is 26th in the lead at two point in the league at 2.98. And then finally, the explosive rushes, like what we talked about with Travis Etienne that we want to see. These are carries of 10 plus yards or more. 17% of the time Aaron Jones touches the ball, it goes for 10 plus yards on the ground. And so that's sixth most in the NFL, whereas A.J. Dillon is at 8%. That's 34th. So I think he forced the coach's hand. And again, so when we talked about earlier with regression, this is like a perfect example of Early on in the season, you might have had Aaron Jones and been like, man, the utilization isn't good. He just scored this 25 points. 
I don't think he can sustain this because he's not getting the work. But if you dug a little deeper, you would see, well, wow, Aaron Jones is playing like one of the best backs in the running, one of the best running backs in the league. And early on, AJ Dillon was also playing like one of the worst running backs in the league. So when you put that stuff all together, then it kind of gives you, okay, I, it's going to be a little risky playing Aaron Jones right now, but I don't want to, I don't want to sell him low, right? I don't want to, or think I'm selling high because he doesn't really have the utilization. He's scoring all these points. Like, so you got to kind of put the whole picture together. He's a great example of how that all played out. Right. And then, you know, I guess to kind of boil it down, my, my old pal, Matt Harmon always, uh, you know, his coaching strategy is basically just give it to your good players. And it appears that the Packers <laughs> uh, have decided to, you know, sometimes, sometimes football can be easy. Just give the ball to your good players uh, and let them do their thing. You talk about it coming back to the Lions. Seems like a good point to talk about the Lions, DeAndre Swift spe specifically. And uh, you know, I know he's been banged up a little bit and he's been trying to kind of recover from a, a multitude of injuries, although that seems to be a, a consistent theme year after year with DeAndre Swift. Is that the reason you think his production has been down or are there some other bigger things going on here in Detroit? Yeah, I think with Swift, um, the, the injury is certainly a factor, but we just don't know for sure how much of a factor um, you you had um, the coaching staff come out this week and basically say, we probably gave him too much work last week. We're like, well, he didn't get very much work last week, so that's <laughs> kind of scary. Um, and he didn't practice yesterday. So the injury is definitely a factor. But if you look at his last three starts, like or his last three games played, whether it's injury or not, he hasn't he hasn't eclipsed twenty he hasn't eclipsed twenty-seven percent of the team's rushing attempts in any of those games. Well, last week he hit twenty-seven percent. So it's really been more Jamal Williams. Um, now, it has been DeAndre Swift continuing to keep all the passing down work. But remember Travis Etienne earlier in the season when people were frustrated. And the main thing was not, well, he's getting enough of the passing down work, but he was almost being treated more like a J.D. McKissick, right, than a DeAndre Swift from 2021. Well, now DeAndre Swift right now, he's being treated like a J.D. McKissick. He's hardly touching the ball at all on the ground. Everything's coming through the passing game. He scored you a touchdown last week because he happened to get on the field inside the five. He caught an angle route scored a touchdown. Um, he's totally capable of doing that. He's a really good player, but right now the utilization is really scary. So we're hoping that this is tied to injury, hoping that he gets healthier. And with the removal of, with, with TJ Hawkinson now gone, you know, to the Vikings, there is an, there's an opportunity underneath for more targets. Um, Cause you know, a lot of times tight ends and running backs that work running backs specifically that work down the field with a plot with a plus a dot, like they are a lot of times they're looking for the same targets from the quarterback. Now, sometimes they're used in combinations. You know, if you remember like the old uh, Darren Sproles, Jimmy Graham combos, you'd have Jimmy Graham running like the seam. And then you have Darren Sproles coming in behind with an angle route and the safety and the linebacker like, oh my God, what do we do? You know, so <laughs> that's that could be something that we could, you know, uh, that's something that we could see in Buffalo now with Naheem Hines, right? And Dawson Knox. But for DeAndre Swift, you don't really have that other option now. So there's just an opportunity for more targets for him. But we really do need to see... I'm a little worried. Like, I don't like, I want to think that this is really just due to the injury because he is a really good player. So that, that's the way I'm still leaning on this one, Marcus. But at the same time, like when you see it this many games in a row, you do wonder like, have they changed his role? I, I don't know what your thoughts are. Well, I mean, I feel like at least with Jamal Williams being here, I mean, I think you know, we saw early in the season, him getting those carries down near the goal line. At some point it felt like it wasn't a fluke. It was by design. 
Uh, and that immediately made me a little bit concerned about DeAndre Swift. Now you talk about all these other changes there, and, and I think it's it's beginning to be a little bit of a pattern with what we're seeing with the Detroit offense. I do hope that, as you mentioned, we talked about this earlier in the week, that because TJ Hawkinson is no longer there, maybe it does mean some more targets. I mean, that was part of the reason we loved DeAndre Swift last year was because he really was a target hog in that offense. So I, I don't know that he goes back to being quite that this year, but maybe there's some more opportunity there. So even if that goal line work isn't going to be there, that the targets come back and sort of fill in the gaps a little bit for him. So that's that's sort of my hope. And yeah, hopefully he gets healthy too, because that that's always going to be a, a big yeah. part of, of his to success. To your point, on Jamal Williams, man, 91% of the carries inside the five. Yeah. He's getting all of it, to your point. Now, all of it. some of that when you've had Swift out, but even in the games with Swift, like he's dominated that work. So I, I think you're right. I, I, I believe that's by design. Yeah. So uh, I think this is, this is going to be Swift's lot in life, at least for this year. We'll see what happens next season. Deontay Foreman uh, has stepped in and been awesome. Uh, you know, I, I will admit that when Christian McCaffrey left and everybody was you know, battling who should it be, Chuba Hubbard or Deontay Foreman, and I was sort of like, meh, on both of them. And you know, credit to Foreman, especially once Hubbard went down with the, with the injury, he stepped in and has played great. Now, I do believe that Carolina wants to see Chuba Hubbard and see what they have with him in this offense. So it's not going to be Foreman just dominating the snaps and the touches there. But how much do you believe in him going forward? I mean, obviously, he's not going to give you three touchdowns every week, but mm -hmm. how much do you believe in Dante Foreman for the rest of this season? Well, he's an easy negative regression candidate because there's nowhere to go but down after you score <laughs> over 30 fantasy points. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just looking at him, there's a lot of things to not like here. Like, he, he looks good as a player, so there's still the talent equation. But, again, this is a guy that was not a high draft pick. He's bounced around teams. So as much as we look at him and we look at the efficiency data and we're like, wow, because you'll see the tweets out there. Like when Deontay Foreman gets 15 plus touches since 2021, like he's basically a beast um, and, you know, or at least 50% of the snaps. And so I think he really is a good player. And he's I think we should all be elated because he shows us that at least there is someone that's coming back, you know, that's come back from an Achilles injury and actually, you know, turned out to be good. But it took a long time. Mm -hmm. Remember, I mean, Foreman was like someone that, you know, really didn't play football for a while, right. you know. So actually, I think last year when Tennessee picked him up, like I can't even remember how long he hadn't been on a team. Like it had been it had been a, it had been a minute. You know, it wasn't like this guy had just been released by someone else. So he was a good player in college, though, out of the University of Texas really built in the mold of a Derrick Henry. Uh, you, 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 it's tough to comp anyone to Derrick Henry because Henry is, you know, <laughs> he's an amazing player. But there are definitely similarities. Like, this is a guy that, you know, he's a real problem for smaller defensive backs to deal with out in space. He's hard to tackle. You know, once he gets his momentum going, um, you know, he's, he's going to give you a lot of yards after contact, and he can score. Like, he can get his momentum going. Once you get him inside the five, That's those are all the positives. The challenge is, like, how good is the Panthers' offense really going to be, number one? Um, I know that they've improved over the last couple of games, and that's good, um, you know, with P.J. Walker. We've got a condensed offense, so even if Chuba Hubbard's playing, you, you still got to think Deonta Foreman could still be a top three player on the offense that they want to get the ball to. You got D.J. Moore. You got uh, potentially Terrace Marshall trying to make some noise. Chuba Hubbard's still a question mark. Right now, Foreman and D.J. Moore are the only two that have shown, right, that they can make plays. So I think that's that's a positive, but how many points are they going to score? Like how often are they going to be converting their drives into touchdowns? I still think that's a big question mark. Um, I also think that they're a team that could be fairly easily 
defended by any sort of good defense because they don't have a lot of weapons. It's essentially, okay, guys, take away DJ Moore. And if they can't move the ball with DJ Moore, then how's Deonta Foreman going to score touchdowns? And then the final thing is what you said. They do want to see Chuba Hubbard. Now, will they go back to that again? I don't know. I don't know if they will or not. Um, you know, every team is a little bit different. You, you know, the coaches and the GMs, they're having these conversations. There's the constant tug and pull, right? You know, of are we going to, you know, look at our young players because we're not a really good team this year versus, you know, a coach wants to win every single week, right? And especially if you're an interim coach, like you're trying to, you're trying to put out the best product you can because you would like to continue to be the coach or have another opportunity. So we don't know for sure how those things will play out, but you're right. Chuba Hubbard, like in that game before, Deonta Foreman, had Chuba Hubbard not gotten hurt in the fourth quarter, he sprained his ankle in that on the first play, essentially, of the fourth quarter. Before that, Foreman had done nothing. Mm-hmm. He played a little bit of the two-minute offense, but he had hardly any of the carries. All of his work came in the fourth quarter of that game, and he came through. You know, he gave you 100 yards in that game as well. So this one's up in the air. I, I, he's obviously a candidate for regression because he played so well. I think he's a candidate for regression because the offense is not good. I think he's a candidate for regression because at a minimum, there's going to be some sort of split here. Right. He's going to probably have to share more carries than what he did last week. As far as who's going to be the lead back, I can't tell you. It should be Foreman. Like he's played good enough for it to be, but there's just a lot of opportunity for things to go wrong. So he's a guy I would sell high. I would sell high on. I've seen some crazy stuff on Twitter. Like I saw somebody today told me that they got a first and a second round pick and dynasty for Deonta Foreman. So like, if you're in a dynasty league, you can get that kind of thing for Deonta Foreman. Don't even question it. Even if he goes on for the next three years to be amazing, like it would be really betting, you know, against the odds to think that, you know, he's going to do that. You know, he's, he's not, he's probably not going to do that based on his profile. So I I would be willing to move him. It's probably going to, it's probably going to be a player that's going to come back down to earth. Yeah, that is that is a Godfather level offer uh, for, for the <laughs> Foreman. If something like that lands on your doorstep, you absolutely take it. Uh, Did want to ask you about Deion Jackson because in the short term, there is a a chance he could see some work this week. Jonathan Taylor is is dealing with a nagging injury, and we'll see what his status is as we get closer to to game time. Uh, but Jackson, long term, I mean, when Taylor's healthy, we know he's the guy. But does Deion Jackson have any appeal for you? Uh, you know, beyond potentially what could happen this week. Yeah, just because Taylor, you know, the ankle injury seems to still be bothering him. He didn't practice on Wednesday. So, you know, these things are interesting. You know, the last game he got hurt, he left, gets it retaped, comes back in. So we kind of assume, okay, it wasn't that bad. But sometimes these players are just playing on adrenaline, you know, in the game. And so it sounds like there is a chance that we could be without Jonathan Taylor this week. And if you've got the Colts in a situation where they're just losing, um, things aren't going well. Do they really want to continue to pound Jonathan Taylor? They probably will if the coach is leading the way. Like if the general manager has any say, like if I'm the GM, I'm like telling Frank Reich, dude, tap the brakes on JT. Like let's not just expend <laughs> him here. We're not winning anything this year. Um, but it's also a division where are we really sure who's going to win it? <laughs> you know, I mean, no one, no one in that division is just running away with anything. So if you're Frank Reich, you're also probably thinking we still have a chance here. So the the truth will probably be somewhere in the middle. My guess is Jonathan Taylor still has a robust role, but for this week, absolutely. Like Deion Jackson is a player that if he's sitting on your wire, like he'd be the first one I would go after. Like we can talk about some other streaming options here, but if you just need something really for this week, and and I think he also has value. What are your thoughts, Mark? Is like I think Deion Jackson has rest of season value now because he's with with Hines gone, essentially like he is the 
I think he's a very straightforward handcuff. I'm not that worried about Zach Moss, who came, you know, to right. in the trade, you know, when they sent away Naheem Hines. I feel like Deion Jackson is very clearly the handcuff to Jonathan Taylor, whereas before, once Hines came back, we're kind of like, well, now I need two injuries really for this guy to have value. So even if he doesn't play this weekend, if 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 Taylor retweaks something, like or you know, heaven forbid, like there's a season-ending in, injury, like Deion Jackson's going to be a wide, he's going to be a running back too every single week. Well, and I think this is the point of the year when we start looking at guys like Deion Jackson. I know you've got some other streaming options too, or rest of the season kind of options here, because as we're starting to turn our focus toward the playoffs, if you have a team that you look at and, hey, look, I'm in line to make the postseason unless something really bizarre happens, this is when I think you start kind of picking up those insurance pieces, whether it's a Deion Jackson, uh, you know, I know you mentioned Dontrell Hilliard, Isaiah Pacheco, these sort of guys that are getting potentially some work, but are in line for huge opportunities if the guy in front of them goes down in any way. So I do think there's something for Jackson. Now, mind you, you got obviously have to have the maneuverability on your roster, have to have the space, uh, you know, if you're, if you're cycling through people. And also, good to keep in mind, there's another Bimageddon week coming up in week 14. Um, that's something to kind of keep an eye on. So that, that might be making it difficult. But I do think Jackson has some some opportunity there. So I guess that leads me to the question of your, your other rest of the season options, guys that you're keeping an eye on in that vein right now. Yeah. Um, and, and the waiver wires really picked over at running back. Like I went and double checked it this morning before the show just to see if there was someone like you and I maybe weren't thinking about that we should throw on the list. And there are some players that are going to project better than some of the guys I might name this week, like just off of pure, you know, projected touch volume utilization. But their underlying talent profile is not necessarily great. And they're probably not going to be that far ahead of the guys that we're about to name. So when I'm thinking about streaming options, like I definitely want to think about guys that could also give me rest of season value. Because if something happens in the game to the starter, they all of a sudden explode, right? Next week in value, and you don't have to worry about trying to get them off of the waiver wire. They're already on your team. Um, the other thing is, is you're probably splitting hairs on something. Like if you're looking at one of these players versus like a Caleb Huntley, like that, that's the kind of player I'm talking about. Like Caleb Huntley, based on his recent utilization, is going to probably project for more touches than some of these guys. But I would roster all these guys knowing they might score a little bit less this week, but have more long-term upside because you're not giving up that much, honestly, in fantasy points for the week. But my favorite options this weekend, you know, looking for, you know, this specific kind of player is looking at Isaiah Pacheco, still available 69% of the time. Uh, Rashad White, somehow only rostered in 30% of leagues. Um, so available 70%. And then you have Dontrell Hilliard. So all these guys, they're going to, they're going to get snaps. They get to easily break a long play for a touchdown. Um, you know, white gets involved in the passing game. Hilliard is really involved in the passing game and all of them are cuffs to guys that are really bell cow. Well, not, not Pacheco. Pacheco's in a scenario where, you know, you got three guys, but he's coming out of a bye. What if Pacheco all of a sudden gets that, that bye week bump, you know, as a rookie, which we sometimes see, and we were just a week early on this, and now he has 70% of the work. Like, that could happen for Pacheco. You do not want to leave him on the wire with White. You know, he's been getting 35 40% of the snaps. That's basically equal to Caleb Huntley. It's going to be fine. And if something happens to Leonard Fournette in the game, like, that's really big. Caleb Huntley is going to be dealing with Cordell Patterson's coming back soon. Whether or not it's this weekend yet, we don't know. And if Patterson comes back, Caleb Huntley's going to have zero value this weekend. So going for a guy like Rashad White, I like a lot better. And even Hilliard, who's available 83% of the time, just because, again, the passing game. But if something happens to Derrick Henry, Hassan Haskins would be involved. But I think Dontrell Hilliard is probably getting about half of the work on the ground. 
and had a huge week last week too. I mean, we, we talk about what the what Derrick Henry did. Dontrell Hilliard actually had a really nice rushing week uh, as well. I mean, some of that is because Texans, but still, I think that he has some of the he has some of the efficiency stuff you're looking for. Like, yeah, to your point. I, yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I all those guys have those things. So uh, yeah, I like all those. All right, uh, wide receivers. Chris Godwin, the, the Bucks have just been such a, a hard team to figure out. I mean, Mike Evans has continued to be good. Leonard Fournette has produced. Chris Godwin's been okay, um, but you feel like he is he is a candidate for aggression to the mean, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he could be an ex- – This he's really due. Um, now, he's still – you know, we look at these players, and just because he's been back – so if you look over the last three games, like he's obviously – they believe he's healthy enough to be out there because his route participation has been elite, 91%, 92%, 92%. So he's playing all the time. That, I mean, that's as good as – that's as high of a route participation as, we, as we've seen from Godwin, period, like over the last couple of years. Like those are really good numbers, so he's out there, he's on the field. And then the targets are coming also. You know, So if you look at you know, his targets in the last several games, you've got – uh, you know, he's got a 31%, a 27%. Last week, he had a 28%. So it's, it's him and Mike Evans. And we, you know, I'm sure there's some efficiency. Part of what's going on here, like if you look at his yards per route run, sitting at 1.74, that's below where we typically see him for his career. He's usually somewhere between like a 1.90 and a 2.20. But he's also getting stronger and stronger and stronger every week. Like he's every week is a week removed from that ACL surgery, which just happened in January. Like it's pretty amazing what Chris Godwin is out here doing already. And we know he's not 100%. He probably won't be 100% the rest of the season, but every week, if he can just get a little bit stronger, right. You know, then that's an opportunity, you know, to see some improvement and efficiency. But I think the big thing, you know, with Godwin is just, there's so much volume here. Like there's so many targets coming his way. It's just going to be hard for him to continue to miss. And then if we look at the matchup with the Rams, the Rams play the most zone coverage in the NFL. And Godwin is one of these unique receivers where whenever he plays against zone, he always, not always, not every game, but like if you look at the last three seasons, like he's targeted more against zone than he is against man. It's just the way it is. And especially since Tom Brady's been there, when he sees man coverage, He's going to Mike Evans a lot, and it goes down for Chris Godwin, where then it flips. If you're going to play a lot of zone coverage, you're going to see more of the targets go to Godwin. A lot of it's due to their route concept designs, like where Godwin is working in the field and those different sorts of things. Um, But if you look at Godwin, you know, his targets per route run this season, Mark, is 12% against man coverage. Against zone coverage, that balloons to 29% targets per route run. So it's 29% targets per route run. So, and it's the opposite for, like I said, for Evans, it flips the other way. So I think this is a really big spot for Godwin. You know, the Rams defense is still good. Um, You know, they haven't been playing well on offense, but their defense, their defense hasn't been great, but like they're put in a lot of bad situations to be honest by their offense. So the Rams defense is better than what people give it credit for, but because they play so much zone, I think this is an absolute smash spot for Godwin. Just it's one of those things where, Pretty much everything's aligning. We talk about a few spots like this every week, and it looks really, really good for Godwin this week. Like, I think he has the upside to be the number one wide receiver on the whole slate. Like, he could score two touchdowns in this game. Wow. Uh, it's funny. I, I said this earlier in the week that it, when the schedule came out, we looked at Rams, Buccaneers, and thought, man, this is going to be an amazing game. It, <laughs> it has not shaped up to be that. I think it can still be a very good game, but I don't think it has the hype behind it because both these teams are struggling with their win-loss win records right now. Their offenses are just not what we thought they were going to be. Um, T. Higgins didn't have a great week. The Bengals in general did not have a great week last week against the, against the Cleveland Browns. But here's the thing. I think for as, as, frustrating, as frustrated as some people might be with T. Higgins, I looked around and 
his floor has still been about 10 points. So I feel like if that's the case, if, you know, even in the down weeks, you're still getting double digit points from D Higgins. It feels like he's a guy that can only go up from here. Yeah. With Higgins, um, I know folks were disappointed, but you also got the glimpse of why we love T Higgins at the end of the game. You know, when he just goes up and mosses the ball over another player and then turns around, and just runs into the end zone like a grown man, you know, because that's what T Higgins can do. You know, this is a guy that if you look at historically, like his talent profile, his targets per route run, yards per route run, his PFF receiving grade, all those things, basically this preseason when I was doing my my rankings, I was like, guys, this we're, we're drafting, you know, T.D. Lamb at the beginning of the second round, the middle of the second round. T. Higgins has the exact same talent profile. Now, T. Higgins had Jamar Chase to deal with. C.D. Lamb had Amari Cooper leaving, right? So the reason that people were leaning into Lamb was, was correct, right? You should have leaned into Lamb over, over T. Higgins. But we also knew that if the Bengals go past heavy, if there's any sort of injury, there's a lot of ways that like his upside could really open up. So yeah, he didn't come through with a huge 30% target share game or anything like that last week, but I'm not worried about him at all. He's an absolute great player. And as we continue to go on in any of these games where we don't have Jamar Chase, I, I think he's going to he's going to have one of these games, you know, Marcus, where he's going to he's going to have eight catches for 150 yards and two touchdowns. It's going to happen. And so it could very well be this week. T Higgins is inside my top eight this weekend. So, yeah, I love him. All right. A um, couple streaming options. Uh Terrace Marshall Jr., a name that has sort of risen from the fantasy grave. I mean, we, we sort of liked him last year in his rookie year. It didn't really happen. Now with Robbie Anderson not there, it looks like Terrace Marshall's in a spot where he can get a lot of opportunity for the rest of the season. Yeah, I mean, Marshall, and so this is another one of those guys where, um, you know, sometimes we see receivers, and we've talked about this in the past, running backs can enter into a situation and volume can be enough, right? It can be some dude we've never heard of, and you're like, well, going to get 25 carries because all he has to do is take the handoff. Now he still has to be good to some extent after that, but he doesn't have to work to get that handoff. Like once we know he's the player for his receiver, all of a sudden you could play a hundred percent of the routes, but if you can't get open, you know, against the player across from you or against the coverage across from you, then you can't get the ball. So there's still another step that has to occur. So with Terrace Marshall, um, he's a guy that I'm particularly excited about because he's a former second round pick. He was actually off to a decent start last year, not in fantasy points, but his target shares, his target rates, all those sort of things were nice. Then he got a concussion. Um, he missed a couple of games, and when he came back, like the offense had kind of changed. They weren't using as much uh, as many three wide receivers. They were doing some different things, and he kind of fell behind. And then towards the end of the year, he started, you know, to to get back on the field more. And sometimes with these concussions, man, I think Marcus, we just think, okay, great. Once you're through protocol, like everything's fine. Like there there can be lingering effects. We know there's a lot of stuff going on here, so we don't really know the full picture of what was going on, you know, with Terrace Marshall's health last year. Um, but this last weekend, for the last two weeks, man, ninety six percent. Um, route participation in week seven, 95% in week eight. So those are great numbers. That's elite. But the big thing is last weekend, he had a 26% target share. And so this is a big bodied guy. Um, you think about DJ Moore, he's much more, he's a really good receiver, but he's more of a run after the catch kind of guy. You know, so Marshall, they don't have a tight end that they really count on. Like Tommy Trimble's done a couple of nice things, but he doesn't play, you know, um, he and Ian Thomas really split time. So I think there's an opportunity here for Marshall to be the guy when they do get down inside the five, if they're not trying to hand it to Deontay Foreman, Marshall could really be the guy. And last week he had 60% of the team's end zone targets. He was also the most trusted player on third and fourth down for PJ Walker. He had 30% of the team's targets in those scenarios. So those are all positive things. Only came through with a 12.7 PPR finish. Um, but 
a lot of those catches, you know, a lot of those passes were not catchable. So he and PJ Walker, like they're still getting on the same page. Like, if you, right. but if you look at DJ Moore, like we've seen his catchable target rates like skyrocket since since PJ Walker's come on board. So if he and Marshall can really get together and like they can kind of figure things out and get on the same page, I think there's a lot of room. You know, so anytime we get a player like this where they're going to get more of a role. And then we also know that they've potentially got that underlying talent profile. Like we want to pounce on it. Like I would absolutely be going after Terrace Marshall this weekend over the Khalif Raymond's um, over the Demarcus Robinson's for the Ravens. Those guys, they might project maybe, you know, for more targets, you know, on some sites and in some different places, but I would much rather take the younger player with more upside that we know is also going to be on the field just as much that could, that could honestly they could make a Terrace Marshall could make a statement game this weekend that makes it hard for you to release them next weekend when you get all your players back from by. That's not going to happen with Marcus Robinson or with Khalif Raymond. We like Khalif Raymond, but we know Jamison Williams is eventually returning. DJ mm-hmm. Chark could eventually return. We know Josh Reynolds is still in the mix. Um, you know, Monroe St. Brown is the number one. So I really like Terrace Marshall as a name that would be at the top of my list. And he's available everywhere, man. Like he's right. only, I think he's rostered in less than 5% of leagues. Yeah, it was amazing. Like he's making plays last week, and I'm seeing his name pop up on my Twitter timeline, and I was like, I, I had honestly forgotten about Terrace Marshall Jr. You're like, you're like, am I in a time machine? Right, exactly. Like, wow. Yeah. And really, I mean, this is only his second year, so it's not like, yeah. you know, it's not like he's, you know, he's not uh, whatever Laquan Treadwell who's bounced around the league several times. I mean, he's he's still a very young player uh, in the NFL. I think. Uh, Want to get a couple of tight edge? I think that's an edge, right? Yeah. Pouncing early on a player like this, like. The community, like, there should be so much more talk about Terrace Marshall right now than what there is. Like, think how much we've talked about Wandell Robinson. Right. Think how much we talked about Tyquan Thornton. Everybody talked about those players, right? Sorry, Terrace Marshall was a better prospect than either one of those players coming out. Absolutely. Um, and we're not, and, and nobody's talking about him. Now, I get it. There are issues. We've still got the Panthers offense. But I think this is an edge, like... And in the age of information where everyone knows everything about fantasy, the fact that Terrace Marshall is not being talked about, to me, I, I think it's an edge. And so, I mean, mm-hmm. if you can go get him and you can put him on your squad, especially if you, mainly if you need someone this weekend, like maybe we get lucky, like any changes our mind, you know, there's very, there's a real good chance. Like he outscores Wondell Robinson, Taquan Thornton, all these other guys, Alec Pierce, he could easily outscore all of them the rest of the way. Yeah, I think he's. I think you're absolutely right. So it, it's just. I think we had need to have our memories jogged. And for yeah. folks who want to get ahead of the curve, I think this is a, a good time to do it. A couple of tight ends. Mark Andrews will keep an eye on his status. Is dealing with a shoulder and an ankle injury. They don't play until Monday night. The Ravens don't. Isaiah likely is an easy pivot if Andrews does not play. But I'm just wondering, I mean, with Brashad Bateman banged up, with Devin DuVernay being sort of inconsistent and Lamar Jackson needing pass catchers, is there a path to Isaiah likely having a role in this offense going mm-hmm. forward, even with Mark Andrews on the field? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great question. Even their coaching staff has told us they're like, hey, Isaiah likely when they <laughs> were doing, you know, the pregame, meet, I think it was it might have been Aikman and Buck, but they were like, you know, hey, what about your tight ends? He's like, that. that's not a tight end, that's a receiver. <laughs> so, I mean, even they think of him as a receiver. But, I mean, I, I know coaches are looking for different elements, right? Can you play outside? Can you stretch the field? You need all these different dynamics that ultimately create. Everybody's, every coach is trying to create space on the football field, or that's what they should be doing, right? By creating space, because when you get an open target, like an open target is worth a lot more than a tight coverage target because guess what? You're tackled later. You're going to have more yards after the catch. Every It makes sense, right? Now, it doesn't mean you can't be a good player just because you don't, 
you know, maybe you, maybe you're more of a contested catch player. Those kind of players can still do great too. Like look at Deandre Hopkins, like that's fine. But in a situation where you're trying to create all the space, I think that's the question. Like can likely be someone that truly could be on the field, you know, as an outside receiver over Devin Duvernay over Demarcus Robinson. I think it's plausible. It's not like either one of those players have done anything in their career that make us think that they're just really outstanding talents. I mean, Devin Duvernay has definitely flashed this year. It's been his first real opportunity to get on the field, but his targets per route run yards per route run, all those things are all okay. They're not great. Demarcus Robinson got to play for multiple years with Patrick Mahomes. Like, I think he's fine. He's an NFL receiver. He's obviously good, but I don't think that there's something there that we're learning like, wow, Demarcus Robinson's going to carve out a role and be like a top <laughs> 24 wide receiver. Whereas with likely, at least there's the unknown. So I like the idea, uh, Marcus, of just going ahead and betting on it. Um, and especially with, with Mark Andrew, like if you guys have Mark Andrews and Isaiah likely is mostly available. Um, he's available in 75% of leagues. I know it's it, it could be really tough this week because you've probably already had to make some tough cuts to take a, you know just to offset the bye weeks you're dealing with, but you got, I think you got you have to carry likely into Monday night, you know because if, if for some now we'll hear more news over the next couple of days if things sound really positive over around Andrews it's like he's playing then then maybe you don't worry about it, but if it's he's probably going to be questionable my gut says we're probably going to get a game time decision. You know, hopefully he's just ruled out before and you don't have to worry about it. Right. But I think game time decisions are very likely here. Um, <laughs> no pun intended, Marcus, uh, on that <laughs> one. Um, so I think you've got to carry him. If you do not have, or if you've got a tight end that's on by and you're just trying to figure something out, and let's say, I don't know, what would the other options be here, Marcus, that you would be looking at? Like, So say you could go pick up um, Hunter Henry, mm -hmm. who's now in a complete split again with Johnny Smith. Or you could just risk it with likely. I would just take likely. Even if even if Mark likely. Andrews plays, I'll just yeah. bet on the chance that likely, you know, is out there a little bit more and can do something. Because there's also the chance that, you know, Andrews reaggravates something, doesn't play in the game, and you get a true difference-making tight end for the weekend. So I, I like likely over a lot of the options that are available at Streamer this weekend. It's, it's a tough weekend streaming. I was looking on Yahoo!, and I was like, wow, there's nothing here on the tight end you really no. want to start. So I think likely he's one of the guys at the top of the list. Yeah, no, it's it's rough out there, which I guess gets us to Tyler Conklin, who started hot, sort of faded, came back again last week. Uh, you talk about streaming options. He, I guess, would be near the top of that list this week, huh? Yeah, so with Conklin, um, what we've noticed is when they get in these really big trailing game scripts, he has good games. They're playing the Bills. Right. Conversation <laughs> over. Right. <laughs> I think that's it. I think it really they're going to trail. So yes, Conklin's a good streaming option. He's available seventy nine percent of leagues. People, he he was, and they were right to cut him, like because we had seen him play well early in the season when they were pass heavy, and then they went run heavy, and it was really more CJ Uzoma. He wasn't getting targeted, but they're fourteen point dogs, I believe. I don't have the latest line in front of me. They're double digit dogs, you know, against uh, you know the Bills this weekend. So probably going to see plenty of Tyler Conklin. Yeah, I, I think this is a chance to get him back in there. But you're right, it's it's rough. I was looking through for some tight end streamers and yeah, was not was not enamored <laughs> with the options. Also, I think because tight end has been so bad, that's part of the reason the waiver wire is so thin because people have just been, you know, hoarding tight ends, trying to plug and play guys wherever they can because you just never really know what's going to happen uh, on a weekly basis. Last bit of the show, and we talked about sort of making waiver moves or adding guys with an eye toward the future. 
Deshaun Watson is coming back soon. Um, and regardless of how you know, people may feel about him personally aside, he's going to be on the field for the Cleveland Browns starting in week 13 in a season where we've talked about it. Aside from the handful of elite guys at the top, the quarterback position has been very unpredictable and inconsistent. Is it worth grabbing a guy who has not played any football in a couple of years uh, is going to be on the field with a brand new team and a new unfamiliar offense uh, at a time when, look, the Browns are still battling for a playoff spot. Is it worth taking the risk to add a guy like Deshaun Watson in this situation to your roster? I think it is because of all the dynamics that you and I have talked about multiple times on the show at the quarterback position. You know, um, if you don't have one of the top, it's a very, it's, it's have and have nots this year, you know? So, Maybe you were able to pick up Justin Fields, which we've recommended a couple of times. Maybe you've been able to patch things together. Um, but still, even if I had Justin Fields, I would love to have Deshaun Watson on my team as my second option. And I totally get, like, whatever side of the argument anyone lands on on this, like, if you've got a personal thing with Watson and you don't want him on your team, I totally respect that. I, mm -hmm. I think that's that's great. If you're also following the other side and you're just like, I'm just trying to win, you know, a fantasy championship this week. That's really kind of more the bend you and I are looking at right here. Not that we don't have personal, you know, thoughts on what's going on with Deshaun Watson, but the prop, the problem with, you know, ignoring him is he gives you top six upside. <laughs> you know, he gives you that upside that we're not getting anywhere else. Like Deshaun, like if you had to look at the waiver wire right now and say, I need, I have one opportunity to add a player that could potentially offset Josh Allen in my fantasy playoffs. It, the only name is Deshaun Watson. Like, he's it. Um, and and the other part of it is, not just offsetting the players at the top, if you're getting to have, if you have Deshaun Watson in your lineup against someone that doesn't, that someone having to deal with, you know, Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or Matt Stafford, hopefully these people have all been dropped, but there's it's not like there's been enough great options just replacing them. Like, I would love to be in a situation where I'm getting to start Geno I mean, Gino, not Gino. Look, I do love Gino Smith. I'm getting to start, <laughs> you know, Deshaun Watson against even the person that's got a guy like Gino. Like I would, I would put my chip on Deshaun Watson because he's the one that can have the 40 point blow up game. You know, we've just seen it for too long and he is getting to come back to be with the team. So he's going to be slowly acclimated. Uh, we've been told that he will be the starter immediately. The first game is that revenge game to your point against the Texans uh, week 13. So I do think it's time to start thinking about him. I know this week's probably tough for people because we have six teams on by. Right. And then you're going to have to um, you know, make it through the next several weeks. We don't have a, another Bimageddon, to your point, until week 14. And by then, you know, Watson will be a starter. So you could cut your other quarterback you know, by then. So I know it's tough, especially if you're in a league where you don't get to carry a lot of players. But if you play in a deep format, I would not, be let, I would not leave Deshaun Watson you know, on the wire, you know, yeah, and as, I, as long I as think, you're personally okay with it. <laughs> yeah, I think he's going to get snapped up in a lot of places. I mean, I just think, you know, look, you're talking about 10-team leagues, 12-team leagues. It only takes one person to feel like they need yeah. that advantage uh, for Deshaun Watson to get picked up. And I do think it's going to happen. And just strictly from a, a football point of view, uh, he does everything you want out of a quarterback, right? We know he's got the the passing ability. We know he's got the rushing ability. And here it is for a team, a fantasy team that maybe is needing quarterback or just wants that extra insurance. He does give you sort of that ace in the hole the rest of the way. So I think as we get closer to week 13, I think this conversation is going to start to pop up in a lot more places. We're going to be we're going to be hearing about this a lot. Um, and I do think that he's going to be very heavily rostered by the time he takes the field in week 13. So um, yeah, this, we'll keep this, an eye on that. This week, 
um, I, I've noticed yesterday because I play in a lot of FFPC leagues, which are, you know, those are 20 player rosters. Mm-hmm. He was getting, you know, people had started snapping him up over the last several weeks. I had been one of them, you know, just especially if I didn't have one of the top quarterbacks. If, if, if Watson was there, I just made it. I basically was treating him like the way I used to think about stash running back plays because right. of the way the quarterback position that. And I think that's the way you need to think about it. You need to think that if all of a sudden Alexander Madison was sitting out there and you knew Madison was going to get to play in four weeks from now, would you pick him up? If you do not have a top six quarterback, that's the way you need to treat him. But I did notice a lot of people having to cut him because of, of Bimageddon. So <laughs> right. it would be one more opportunity, you know, because he, he had started to creep up in rostership over in these bigger contests. But a lot of people were forced to cut him this last week because they just have so many people on by. So I'll be adding even more next weekend. Yes, I think after next week, you're going to see a lot more people trying to go and and stash him yet again. So uh, definitely something we'll keep an eye on as we get a little bit closer to week 13. Something that you all can keep an eye on is the FantasyLife.com website. You can go check out the rankings there. You can also sign up for the newsletter as well. Check out the tools to help you set your lineups going into the weekend. So this should be a fun one yet again. Looking forward to week nine. Also appreciate you all hanging out with us here at the Fantasy Life podcast. For Dwayne, I am Marcus. Enjoy week nine, everybody. And we'll talk to you next week.